Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Well, I've written another Christmas story for you, and this week it's a Friday Barnes one. Uh, I've never written a Friday Barnes Christmas story before, so I'm very excited about this. The only problem is, after I'd written it, it did occur to me that there may be some confusing things for people in the Northern Hemisphere, because uh, I know there's a lot of listeners over there. So I just want to explain to you... I'm in Australia, which is in the Southern Hemisphere, and here we have Christmas in summer, which is probably something you already knew about. But what seems to take a lot of people by surprise is because Christmas and summer at the same time here, our school year runs with the calendar year. So that means that school starts in February and runs to December. I know for my cousins in England, this fact blew their minds, but that's just the way it is. So that means for us, Christmas time and end of year assemblies where everyone gets their certificates and people graduate, those two ideas go together. In fact, my two daughters at school, they've both had their presentation assemblies in the last week. So that's why these ideas were in my mind when I was writing a Friday Barn story. So having explained all that, now we can get stuck in. So here we go. Today's story is Friday Barns and the Case of the Stolen Star. Here we go. Friday was sitting outside the headmaster's office, again. She wasn't sure why she'd been called in. She hadn't done anything wrong. At least, she didn't think she had. Friday was feeling a bit glum anyway. School was about to break up for the Christmas holidays, and she wasn't looking forward to going home. Her parents didn't really celebrate Christmas. They didn't believe in being disproportionately emotional about any one day on the calendar, Given that the calendar was based on an arbitrary time measurement system, Christmas was merely an adaptation of the pagan Saturnalia festival, and overeating was bad for your bowels. Also, they couldn't cook, and they didn't clean, so Friday spent most of the holidays acting like Cinderella, performing domestic chores for disinterested family members who barely noticed, and certainly never expressed gratitude. Friday would have preferred to be allowed to stay in her dorm room, Mrs. Marigold, the school's cook, would no doubt be going home to her own family to cook a spectacular holiday feast. But if Friday stayed behind, she could live off the food from the school's vending machines. It would probably be more nutritious than the food her parents had in their house. As she sat outside the headmaster's office, Melanie was with Friday. She was not meant to be there, but she didn't want to go to maths class on her own, so she tagged along. Headmaster probably just needs my help with something, said Friday. Or one of the teachers complained about you knowing more than them, suggested Melanie. Maybe, shrugged Friday. She glanced at the clock on the wall. They'd been waiting for 17 minutes. If he needed help, he wouldn't leave us sitting out here so long, reasoned Friday. And if he was going to tell me off for excessive academic excellence, he'd probably just want to get it over with. So what are you suggesting, asked Melanie. A third possibility, said Friday. Maybe he's not actually in there. Friday leaned towards the door and listened for a moment. The headmaster is not a skinny man. If he was moving about, we'd be able to hear his footsteps on the wooden floorboards. 
And if he was on the phone, we'd definitely be able to hear him, said Melanie. As a headmaster, most of his conversations involved him yelling. Even when he spoke at a normal level, decades in education had given him the ability to project so every word could be heard clearly by everyone in a 50-metre radius. The most likely scenario, said Friday, as she picked up her backpack and started rifling through it, is that he's in there, but asleep. I know that's what I'd do, said Melanie. Fortunately, I brought my stethoscope, said Friday. Of course you did, said Melanie. Friday put the earpieces in and held the stethoscope to the door. Can you hear snoring, asked Melanie. I know it's cruel to make assumptions based on someone's physical appearance, but the headmaster does look like a snorer. Friday shook her head. No snoring. Not even heavy breathing. I can just hear the tick of the carriage clock on his desk. They fell silent as Friday listened for the slightest noise. When suddenly, bang! The door at the far end of the corridor suddenly bashed open as Nigel staggered in helping Parker. Although it took Friday a moment to recognise him because Parker was holding a scrunched up white polo shirt over his face. Sick Bay was across the corridor from the headmaster's office and Nigel was half leading, half dragging Parker towards it. What happened? asked Friday. Oh, Parker got hit in the face, said Nigel. By who? asked Friday. Not by who, by what? said Parker. His voice sounded muffled as it came through the polo shirt. I'm sorry, said Friday. A chair, explained Nigel. See for yourself, said Parker, lifting the polo shirt away from his face long enough for Friday to see a gash above his right eye. Blood smeared all over his face and soaked into the polo shirt. Friday's brain took a moment to register what she was looking at. Usually you only saw that volume of blood in a horror movie. It was so red it seemed unreal. Until the gash started to ooze out a fresh glob and it ran down Parker's eyelid. Then it was all too real. And that's when Friday's brain shut down and she hit the floor. When Friday woke up, she was lying in sick bay. In the next bed over was Parker. Oh, what happened, muttered Friday. Well, I tripped, said Parker, but I'm not sure what you did. Just fainted, I think. Getting a look at Parker's face can have that effect on a girl, chuckled Nigel. Sorry, I know the sight of blood turns your stomach, said Parker. Must say, I never realised I had so much blood in my head, or that so much could come out and I'd still be alive. Your brain's probably used to operating on a low tank, said Nigel. True, agreed Parker. You know, you ought to get up there, Nigel said to Friday. Where? asked Friday. The hall, said Nigel. That's where he clonked his nog. We were helping set out the seats for presentation night. Set out one seat too many, said Parker. Yes, but the headmaster arrived just as I was bringing Parker over here, said Nigel, and he absolutely hit the roof. About Parker's injury, asked Friday. Oh no, said Nigel. He's used to seeing Parker get in a scrape. He was furious that the star from the Christmas tree had gone missing. Gosh, no, exclaimed Melanie. That's a big deal, is it? asked Friday. Oh yes, said Melanie. The headmaster is very proud of his tree. He gets a special set designer all the way from the big city to decorate it. He hires a professional tree decorator, asked Friday. Presentation night is a big deal at a school like this, explained Melanie. The parents don't often turn up, but they do to see their kids get awards, and the headmaster goes all out to impress them. They pay exorbitant fees to dump their kids here. They want to see how it's being spent. And they're impressed by a tree, said Friday. To be fair, it does always look magnificent, said Melanie. He gets a tree that's 10 metres tall, so it almost touches the ceiling of the Great Hall. It's covered in beautiful handmade decorations, and on top is a genuine Murano glass golden star that lights up. 
The star on the tree is made of Murano glass all the way from Venice, Italy, asked Friday. Yes, said Melanie. It was donated by an Italian tax exile who was very grateful to the school for sheltering his eight children while he and his wife were on the lam evading the Italian tax authorities. But who would steal something that ostentatious, asked Friday. Well, the headmaster seems to think it's your boyfriend, said Nigel. I don't have a boyfriend, said Friday. Yeah, right, said Melanie. You two broken up again, have you? asked Parker, perking up. No, we haven't broken up because he was never my boyfriend, said Friday. Jolly good, said Parker, because I've been meaning to... Not now, said Nigel. You're covered in blood. It's not very romantic. Good tip, said Parker. I'd hate to ask her out and then for her to forget because she fainted again. So what did happen with Ian, asked Friday. Such concern, said Melanie. I'm just trying to distract Parker from asking me out, said Friday. Sure, uh uh-huh, said Melanie. Well, the headmaster was saying, and by saying, I mean yelling, because we could hear every word as we staggered across the quad to sick bay, said Nigel, that if Wayne Scott didn't hand it over, he was going to be expelled immediately. Oh, yes, he really yelled that bit, said Parker. Could hear it as clear as a bell, even through the throbbing headache and the sticky polo shirt. Friday sighed. I suppose we'd better get up there. She swung her legs over the side of the bed and then toppled headfirst onto the floor. Are you all right? asked Melanie. I'm fine, said Friday. Just give me a moment. The cold linoleum floor feels good on my face. When Friday and Melanie finally arrived at the hall, the first challenge was getting in without directly looking at the pool of blood, presumably Parker's, just inside the doorway. It was hard for Friday to navigate with her hands over her eyes because the huge hall had been transformed. It was full of fold-out seating, and every surface had been covered in old-fashioned Christmas decorations. It had been decked with holly, ivy, mistletoe, pine boughs, and any other greenery they could get their hands on. There were also sound and power cables strewn across the floor going in all different directions, while professional sound and lighting technicians were bustling about setting up their equipment. Friday could see how easy it would have been for Parker to trip. But the most eye-catching thing in the room was the massive Christmas tree that had been placed at the front of the hall near the stage. And that is where a gaggle of half a dozen boys were standing as the headmaster berated them. The headmaster had clearly been ranting for some time and settled into a rhythm. He wasn't yelling everything, just punching out key words like Disgrace! and Ought to be ashamed! and Immediate expulsion! But before going over to intervene, Friday took a moment to inspect the tree. Melanie had not exaggerated. It was spectacular. There were bright-coloured baubles, hand-sewn nativity figures, gold-painted pine cones, and silver bells, no doubt made of real solid silver, covering the tree. But at the top, the pride of place of any festive display, there was nothing. Just a naked pine branch pointing at the ceiling. That's when the second most spectacular thing in the room caught Friday's attention. She noticed that Ian was not wearing a shirt. Friday's brain stalled. Ian had a disconcerting effect on Friday's hormones when he was fully dressed. Investigating a case while he was standing there shirtless was going to be a challenge. Friday instinctively put her hand over her eyes again. Too much, asked Melanie. Why isn't he wearing a shirt, asked Friday. Does it matter why, asked Melanie. The headmaster turned and saw the two girls standing there. Oh, fantastic. Just when I thought my day could not get any worse, you two turn up. You sent for me. I was waiting outside your office, said Friday. Which is where you should still be, snapped the headmaster. Can't you see I'm busy? 
She can't see anything, said Melanie. She's covering her eyes because she can't cope with the sight of Ian's chest. Would it kill you to put some clothes on, asked Friday. I did have a shirt on, said Ian, but there was so much blood coming out of Parker's head, I felt his need was greater. Oh, the white polo shirt, said Friday. No longer white, said Melanie. Well, I won't be asking for it back, said Ian. So what's this problem with the star, asked Friday. It's been stolen, said the headmaster, and your boyfriend denies doing it. Well, innocence until proven guilty is a fundamental principle in all legal systems, said Friday. Well, all legal systems in democracies. It's not so big in authoritarian dictatorships. Schools are authoritarian dictatorships, agreed Ian. But in theory, they're not meant to be, said Friday. You can't expel Ian without proof. I do have proof, said the headmaster, because no one else could possibly have done it. The only way to steal the star off that tree, ten metres off the ground, would be to climb up the gymnastic bars at the back of the hall, monkey along the roof beam to the air conditioning column that runs along the middle of the ceiling, crawl the length of that until you're directly above the tree, then reach down and take the star from above. Friday watched the proposed path as the headmaster narrated this, and she could see what he was saying was possible. And of these six nincompoops, said the headmaster, the only one fit and agile enough to do that is Ian Wainscott. Friday looked at the boys. There was Melanie's older brother, Binky. He was fit, but too heavy to be able to do something so gymnasticky. Patel, who wouldn't have the upper body strength. Harvey, who had such bad eyesight he was borderline legally blind. And Tristan Fanshawe, who was way too lazy. So the headmaster had a point. But what would Ian's motive be, asked Friday. He could hardly sell such a well-known, unique object. His motive was revenge, declared the headmaster. Revenge on who? The tree decorator, asked Friday. No, on me, said the headmaster, because I'm not giving him the prize for best sportsman. You're not, said Binky, but that's totally unfair. Wayne Scott is the best at every sport. Being the best sportsman isn't just about being good at sports, snapped the headmaster. Well, it should be, said Ian. It's also about sportsmanship, declared the headmaster. And you shoved an umpire. Well, he accused me of racism, said Ian. I found that offensive. You made a racist slur, accused the headmaster. Really? What did you say? asked Friday. Don't repeat it, cried the headmaster. I just asked Patel if he knew any good curry recipes, said Ian. That is racist, said the headmaster. No, it's not, said Ian. I'm going home for Christmas and my mother is a vegetarian. It gets really boring eating only vegetables all the time. I was just asking for some cooking tips. I know Patel's family runs an Indian restaurant. I thought he might know a good recipe. Oh, I do, said Patel. I'll write out mum's veggie korma for you. Thank you, said Ian. Well, still, it shows you were angry with me, said the headmaster. Ian's always angry with everyone, said Melanie. He's a brooding troubled youth. It's part of his image. Well, then he did it because he loves these flashy pranks, said the headmaster. It's just the type of silly, juvenile, petty, utterly aggravating thing he would do. Friday nodded. Ian had once taken all her clothes and carefully balanced them on top of a channel marker in the swamp. Yes, that is true, but in this instance, you're wrong. The facts don't fit. What facts? asked the headmaster. Where would Ian have hidden the star? asked Friday. I assume it's quite large to go with this oversized tree. Oh yes, said Melanie. It must be about half a metre wide. And he can't have shoved it up his shirt because he's not wearing one, said Friday. Then who did steal it? demanded the headmaster. 
I'll show you, said Friday. She walked back to the doorway where the control box was located and reached in to flick a switch. Hey, stop, cried the headmaster. You can't turn on the tree lights. They don't come on until the official tree lighting ceremony at the end of the evening. It's the honour of the top student in the whole school to do that. Well, that's me. I'm the top student, said Friday, so I may as well do it now. No, cried the headmaster. Friday flicked the switch. Everyone turned to look at the tree as a rainbow of lights flickered on, glistening off the glass, gold and silver decorations. It was truly beautiful. It almost made even Friday's cold scientific heart feel festive. It was the cliché of an idyllic traditional Christmas tree in every respect, except that right in the middle of the tree... A glowing gold shape shone through the branches, and that shape was a star. What is that? asked the headmaster. There's your star, said Friday. Why on earth did he hide it there? asked the headmaster. He didn't, said Friday. No one stole it, and no one hid it. Then what happened? asked the headmaster. Well, we all know that Parker smashed his head open when he tripped. But in the chaos of all the blood spewing out of his head, no one noticed what he tripped on. It was the wire from the star. His foot got caught underneath the wire and tugged it sharply. Then the star fell into the tree, but didn't fall all the way to the ground because it was caught halfway by the thick branches. So no one is to blame. Except Parker, growled the headmaster. Yes, Parker agreed Friday. And he will have an excellent case if he chooses to sue the school for forcing him to do manual labour in an unsafe environment. Any occupational health and safety manual would tell you you should always tape down power cables because they're a tripping hazard. The headmaster glowered. You've got to forgive him, headmaster, said Melanie. It is Christmas. So only one mystery remains, said Friday. Oh, what now, grumbled the headmaster. Why did you want to see me in your office, asked Friday. All that, said the headmaster, looking a touch sheepish. Well, at the presentation ceremony tonight, you're going to win all the academic awards for your year group. Friday nodded. She expected as much. The other parents aren't going to like it, said the headmaster. They like seeing their children get certificates. I don't suppose you could stand aside and let some other students win some. No, said Friday. Please, said the headmaster. I'll make it worth your while. How, asked Friday. I'll have Mrs. Marigold pack you a massive hamper of all her best food so you don't have to eat your family's home cooking once during the entire Christmas break. Friday was astonished. She lunged forward and grabbed the headmaster in a big hug. Thank you. Thank you so much. That would be the greatest Christmas present ever. And so the case was solved. The end. Now, before I go, I did just want to remind you, people are saying all the time, can you do more podcast episodes? And basically the answer is no, one a week is all I can cope with. But I just want to remind you, if you're going on a long road trip and you did want some more, there are two audiobooks that I've done. I've recorded The Adventures of Nanny Piggins, as well as Friday Barnes Girl Detective, which is the first book in the Friday Barnes series. And they're available anywhere you can get audiobooks. So Audible iTunes, anywhere like that. So check that out. All right, that's it for now. Until next time, goodbye.